This is Faster, a podcast by Flow Cycle. In each episode, we interview industry experts to educate you, challenge you, and even change the way you train so you become faster. When we're not creating this podcast, we're working on other ways to make you faster. At Flow, we design and manufacture some of the world's fastest cycling wheels that we sell consumer direct to keep more money in your pockets. As a special thank you for listening to Faster, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase. Simply use coupon code PODCAST in all capital letters at checkout. Your purchase will also support our Give Back initiatives. 1% of all sales supports our Bike for a Kid program, where we provide bikes and helmets for kids in need. We also plant one tree for every wheel we ship as a thank you to our planet. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to Faster. I'm your host, John Thornham. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about how a cycling wheel supports its load. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's been a few episodes that have been coming out here where it's just me talking. Um, a few reasons for that. I've had a lot of questions about certain things over the years. Uh, I've done a lot of R&D, a lot of research, and I just kind of want to talk about some of those things. Um, some science-based stuff, some R&D-based stuff that we've learned over the years that is sort of interesting to people in the cycling space. Um, understanding a lot of this stuff is going to give you some education, some knowledge, and just general information about um, being faster as an athlete uh, and a whole number of things. So you're going to hear these more often. And then the reason I'm doing it is because people have been asking for more content. So we're kind of on a cadence right now, one podcast per week, which is something new for us. And uh, getting guests and everything on a weekly basis is not always the easiest thing to do. So I'd rather get in here, um, have some shorter episodes where I'm just kind of giving you a bunch of information quickly and fast so that you can get it. And we're still going to have guests coming in, so don't worry about that. But let's talk about today uh, how a cycling wheel supports its load. So years ago, I wrote this um, blog about how a tire supports its load. Uh, if you haven't seen it, um, I'll throw some links in the show notes. You can go check it out. It's a picture, a uh, bunch of things that I drew actually with colored pencils. It was an interesting project because I couldn't find pictures to, to actually show it. But I talked about how it's a tire pressure that is used to basically create casing tension inside of a tire. And it is a thing that basically supports load. It holds it up um, because of air pressure and casing tension and a number of other factors. Something that I've wanted to talk about for years and I've never done it. It's actually a pretty debated topic. It's if you go online and you read about it, there's some pretty strongly opinionated views in one direction or the other. And it's around how a cycling wheel supports its load. And it's basically around spokes. So there are two kind of arguments from two different camps. One is, is that the wheel, the hub itself hangs from the top spokes. And the other argument is that it is standing on the bottom two spokes. Well, I think to say one or the other is kind of black or white. Um, when you look at something like a cycling wheel that is a number of spokes laced into a hub and into a rim that are all under tension, you get something that is a very complex, pre-stressed, pre-tensioned uh, structure. So what does that mean? Um, a simple example um, that you can think about is in the world of concrete. Uh, growing up, my father was a sales rep for a company called Lafarge, which is arguably at the time, probably the largest cement manufacturer in the world. And he worked with a number of ready mix firms and construction guys. And uh, I remember as a kid, I would drive over this bridge in a place called Halifax, going over to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And off of that um, bridge, 
there was a, a project that I think started in the 70s, maybe, or 80s. I remember ever since I was a kid and I was born in the early 80s, so probably before my time, before I was born. But there was this uh, like approach ramp that was going up and it just stopped. It just cut off in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I used to ask my dad, I was like, why is that there? What is it? He said, well, there's a um, pre-stressed concrete structure there. And in order to take it down, because of the pre-stress in the concrete, there could be issues around its uh, you know, deconstruction. So they just decided to leave it there because it's easier to leave it there. So what is pre-stressed concrete? So pre-stressed means that uh, if you think of concrete as a whole, um, if you have a big cube, let's say, you know, a yard or a meter, depending on where you're listening from, by a meter. So you get a big square of concrete. Um, concrete is great when it's compressed. It's got a lot of uh, strength properties. What it's really bad at is if you take a, let's say you have like a concrete beam, think of like a, a two by four made of concrete. And you were to put one end, uh, just the ends uh, on two different things. And so you have basically a span that goes across and you were to put weight in the middle of that, um, concrete will break pretty easily in that. So you're basically uh, bending the concrete. So it does not have the ability to basically be in tension. So the bottom of that structure, because it's getting longer as you were to bank the arc, it doesn't work in tension very well, so it breaks easily. So smart engineers years and years ago came up with this idea that they would pre-stress concrete. So let's make it a little bigger so it's easier to understand. Make it uh, two feet by four feet. Let's make it a beam. And on the bottom half of that beam, what they did is they took a rebar and they basically ran a number of cables through it and they put them under tension. So they stretch them in a form. And then they pour concrete around that rebar. And then as the... After the concrete is dry, they let it the tension go on the ends and they cut it. And so that concrete that is on the ins or the rebar that is on the inside of the concrete wants to basically pull itself back to its normal state. So it wants to de-stress. So it's basically pulling. Now it doesn't get all the way back, but in the process of of doing that, if you think of it from a from a small perspective, it starts to basically put tension on the bottom half of that beam. And so it kind of creates a slight upward arc in the concrete itself. Now, not like a very visible arc, visible arc, but you can kind of understand the concept. So now if you take that same um, structure and you lay it across two pieces and you put a load in the middle again, then what happens is, is the load and the concrete starts to basically um, get larger. The rebar that is on the inside, as you start to, to stretch it or stress it, then it is actually just taking away some of the, um, the, the pre-stress is basically taking some of that load. So it's not all on the concrete. It's re- allowing the small arc that you would put in the concrete to return to its normal state. Now the design and how that's done and the load that's going to be on it is all part of it. But understanding that that's kind of what pre-stress means is, is just a, a way to kind of simply understand what's happening uh, in a simple, simple example. Now, the minute that you go into a cycling wheel, it becomes a lot more complicated. Number one, because there are so many spokes. There are a number of different lacing patterns. Depending on the wheel itself, you could have higher tensions on one side, lower tensions on the other. That has to do with dish. Um, angles are different. Uh, there's so many factors that go into it. So 
when you think about a load being placed on a cycling wheel, um, if we have a very, very, very simple example, let's say the wheel, we have a wheel and it has four spokes and they're kind of centrally located so that we're not thinking of like the angles. Um, if the spokes are, one is at 12 o'clock, one is at three o'clock, one is at six o'clock, which is the ground, and then one is at nine o'clock, and they're all pretensions, meaning tension meaning that they have tension in them. Let's remember the difference between tension and compression. So spokes don't really compress because the minute you have a spoke in your hand and you try to squeeze it together, it'll bend, it'll flop. So they don't really take compression, but spokes are really great at taking tension. So if we put enough tension on a spoke, if I were to push slightly on one end, sort of like the concrete, I'm actually not compressing the spoke, I'm detensioning the spoke. So I'm taking tension away from the spoke. So when you think of a rim that's on in, the, in contact with the surface of the road, the tire we know has something called a contact patch. So the tire itself has casing tension in it. And what you get is you get this deformation at the bottom where the tire itself makes contact with the road. So you, we did a uh, study years ago. We took ink pads and we basically like stamped out a number of different contact patches with different tires and different pressures. So you can see how that changes. But the same thing that happens at the bottom of the tire also happens at the bottom of the rim. So at the bottom of the rim, there's a slight flattening of the carbon or the, uh, the aluminum, whatever you have at that section. So if there's one spoke at the bottom, that's at six o'clock position, that one spoke is going to slightly detension. And for a few reasons, number one is because there's a change in the rim structure and because of the way that the load is applied. And then the other spokes that are around in this situation, those the spokes at, especially the one above, is going to increase its tension. And even the ones on the side are going to take in some of that load in some, some capacity. That's because there's movement on the spoke, but most of it is going to be handled by the top and bottom spoke. The minute that you turn that wheel, say, let's say 45 degrees, and then you have, let's say, spokes at... Uh, would that be 1.30, 4.30, 7.30, and 10.30? So I think that's the right ones. You then take up some of the load on both of the bottom spokes, so detensioning, and then some of the ones up top. Now, when you think about making that into a much more complex wheel, let's say we have 24 spokes, uh, top and bottom, there's going to be a few that deform at the bottom. And then there's going to be some, the rest of that load, that detensioning at the bottom is going to be taken up by those other spokes. Now, there's been this argument that's been out there for years that people have said that, well, if you actually pluck a spoke, so plucking a spoke is like kind of like playing a guitar spring, a string, you get a, a specific note. So people will place a wheel under load, and then what they do is they roll it, and as it gets to the bottom, you can hear a change in the pitch. So the, the pitch goes down because you're detensioning that bottom spoke, and people say, well, that's where all the change happens. Well, I'm not saying that's not true because you can change, detect a change in the, in the spokes. But if you have 24 spokes and the only, let's say, two at the bottom are the ones that are really changing the pitch, the rest of that load is being taken up by those other pre 22 pre-tensioned spokes. And so the pitch change is going to be very, very small, almost indetectable compared to what you would see at, at those two bottom spokes. So you know, if we go back to this idea of, you know, is it a... Does a spoke hang or does a spoke stand on its two uh, on the bottom spokes? My answer to that is that it is a not simple. It's not black or white. It is a complex uh, pre-tensioned structure 
that uses all the spokes to efficiently balance the load um, and kind of absorb that change in contact patch at the bottom of the rim. Uh, if you have questions about that or you just want to talk about more or if you have any input on something like this, because like I say, this is a highly debated topic. If you have other ideas or you want to comment on it, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, all of our wheels are made with Sapham CX Ray spokes, arguably the best spokes that are in the industry. Uh, we do that for a number of reasons. They do hold tensions great. Truing them is very uncommon, um, especially when they're built properly. We build all our wheels with, by hand uh, to get things right. And it just makes servicing the spokes um, so much better, so much more efficient. The other thing that you get is when you have a lower quality spoke, um, you know, if you look at online at Sapham CX Rays, you're looking probably at $4 a spoke these days. You can easily buy spokes for well under a dollar, um, but the materials that they are made from are just inferior. So the ability for them to go through loads, uh, cycles, basically. Now, as you know, that the spokes on the bottom detension and then they retention. It's called, um, basically, it's a cyclical pattern. And so every metal structure over time is going to go through something called fatigue. So fatigue is basically... We know that something's going to go through a number of cycles and eventually it will fail. Sapham CX rays are arguably the best that are out there from a, um, a cycle perspective. And so spoke breakage is very, very rare. Of all of the hundreds of thousands or probably even close to millions of spokes that we ship these at, at this point, what we notice is that most spoke breaks are caused by damage, either a crash or somebody drops a chain on the inside on a rear wheel and you basically scour the spoke. So at that point, if you ever do that, you're definitely going to have those spokes replaced because they're kind of ticking time bombs at that point because of that pre-stress and the way that a cycling wheel works. I hope you enjoyed this episode, uh, making sure you have the right spokes, tensions, and everything in your wheel from a watt point perspective is probably going to gain you maybe one, two, three watts, not a big watt point help. Um, but if you're in a race and you do break a spoke, uh, it could be the difference between a finish and a not a finish. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I uh, hope to hear from you guys soon, and we'll be back soon with more content. Ride safe. Thanks for listening to Faster. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Leave a review or teach a friend what you learned today. For more great episodes on getting faster, subscribe to this podcast. While you're on your next ride, be kind to one another and ride safe. Thank you.